lady this week that reminded me of me. Turn me up just a little bit. The um, She came in and talked to her pastor. He says, Pastor, you're always talking about spiritual growth. Why are you talking about spiritual growth all the time? You're always saying things like drawing nigh unto God. Now, you've never heard me say that. That's a little bit too upper class for me. But spiritual growth. Get close to God. Learn to, to walk with God. And she said, Pastor, I don't want to get close to God. At least, I don't want to get too close to God. I just want to get over in a corner and sneak into heaven real quietly. I don't want to be a saint, but I don't want to go to hell. And the pastor says, I can't believe what I'm hearing. I can't believe you would say that. I can't believe you would feel that way. Can you explain it? And she says, yeah, really easy. When I started the ninth grade, I set my heart on finishing high school with a C average. She said, because if you fail, you have to repeat a grade. But if you make A's, people start to expect things of you. And it's exactly like that with God. If you're too bad, you'll go to hell, and I don't want that. But if you're too good, he'll send you to be a missionary. (laughs) And I don't want that either. You know, I'm not sure that a lot of Christians don't feel that way. You know, I I don't want to get too close to God because he might expect more of me. And and we we want enough of God to be sure that we don't go to the bad place, but not enough of God that makes us really live a whole lot differently than we want to. We're afraid if we, if we really sell out to God, if we really buy into what Pastor's been talking about, spiritual growth, He'll do something awful to us, like send us to India, or maybe make us teach Bible school. You know, something like that that's really an awful thing. So we don't grow spiritually because we don't want to. We don't want to stand out. You know, the, it, it's the nail that stands out that gets pounded down. And so we, we don't want to get too close to God because of of where that might wind up. But nevertheless, I'm still going to talk to you about spiritual growth again. Okay? I'm not going to change. We've been looking at Paul's letters to Timothy. Paul wrote two letters to Timothy, and he talked to Tim. Timothy was his, his son in the faith. It was his, he was a, a kind of a mentor to Timothy. as was teaching him how to, to grow and how to be what God intended for him to be. <clears throat> and so uh, he wrote these two letters to Timothy, and if you look through them and you kind of comb through them, you can see and find Paul's suggestions to Timothy on how to grow spiritually. And we've, and we've been looking at those. We, we looked at the first one, and he says, uh, Timothy, don't give up. Keep on keeping on. Keep on seeking to grow. And then the second week we looked and we looked at the different places where he said to Timothy, keep growing. Keep growing spiritually. That's a, that's a key is, is spiritual growth. And then uh, two weeks ago we talked about, he says to Timothy, keep praying. Remember the important thing is to keep praying. And then last week 
we talked about focus. He said, Timothy, no texting while driving. Remember that? Keep focused on what you're doing. Keep your mind focused on on where you're going. Don't get off track. This morning, I want us to... to, uh, I couldn't think of a way to say keep. So we're leaving the alliteration of keep doing something. I want us to talk about, so how do you know how you're doing? How do you measure how you're doing? Paul gave Timothy some, some elements of measuring his spiritual success, how he was doing spiritually. And so I'd like to, to look at some of those this morning. The passage we're going to read is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, but like we've been doing, we're going to look through here as Paul, uh, Paul writes to Timothy in these two letters and kind of try to put everything together. But in 2 Timothy 2.19, he says this, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble purposes. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So I think there's four things that Paul says to Timothy in this and and throughout the two letters. He says there's four things that you need to measure, Timothy, about your spiritual success. And uh, you you need to to measure these four things. And as as a way of encouraging him, he he kind of gives him some ideas and some uh, ways to think about how he's growing successfully. And and the first thing he says is this. Measure your spiritual devotion. And if if I were just to ask you, you know, take out a piece of paper and a pencil and and write down three or four things that would would let me know or or that would let you know, how are you going to measure your spiritual devotion? What what do you think you might write down? Just, Just, I'm not asking you to say anything out loud. But just, you know, what do you think you might write down? You know, Paul says to Timothy, measure your spiritual devotion by your commitment to God's people. Measure your spiritual devotion by your commitment to God's people. Here's what he said in 1 Timothy 3.15. He says this, if I'm delayed, in other words, if, if I don't make it back to Ephesus like I'm hoping to, If I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Paul says, if I don't make it again, be sure that you teach the people in Ephesus how they are to walk with one another, how they are to conduct themselves in the household of 
of faith. And, and people who know Jesus Christ, people who proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, are members of God's family. And when you're born again, you're born into God's local congregation, into the local group of, of God's people. And you ought to find those people gathered together on Sunday morning, not, not necessarily here, but in other churches around the community. You ought to find them together, and that's where you find God's people. And, you know, I, I just got to be, it breaks my heart when I hear some of the things that happen in churches, amongst the people in churches. I was, I was reading a story, or I was reading a, a, an article this guy had written a letter to his pastor and he and his pastor had a small disagreement about so it doesn't say whether it was theology or policy or why he didn't say what the disagreement was he says I, I, I just couldn't agree with my pastor on something and, and so I wrote the pastor a letter to tell him about my disagreement he said at 3 o'clock in the morning I woke up to a phone call and for the next 42 minutes, the lead pastor of my church yelled and cursed at me and demanded an apology. He said, I, I hardly spoke a word. And for, for, for 30 minutes, 42 minutes, he says about 10 times he dropped the F-bomb on me. He started cussing out the other pastors and his own staff. And then he stopped by saying, I'm telling you this because I love you, man. <laughs> and then he went back to cursing. And this guy's writing the letter. And he says, you know, I don't necessarily have a problem with curse words, but these were directed at others, namely at me. And he says, I offered to write a letter that recanted all I said. And he said, pastor said, yeah, well, you blankety-blank better. And then he says, after the phone call, I contacted the entire staff to apologize to them. Now, I don't know, maybe you can't imagine that. I, I just can't imagine that. Just, it just blows me away that, that, uh, that any church member would talk to another church member that way, much less pastor. You know? But you know what? I know another instance, and... And it's close enough that I can't tell you who or where. It's not in our valley anywhere. But where a, a pastor cursed in a church meeting and slammed the door and walked out. Can you imagine? You know, if I did that to you, I'd expect you to fire me on the spot. I mean, if that's the way you're going to talk, pastor, you're out of here. And I want to tell you something else. Let's just be fair, okay? If you cuss me out, I'm going to expect you to either apologize or... You can disagree with me all you want. And you already know that because you do all the time. You know, that's, that's fine. <laughs> that's no problem. But uh, like, like my pastor friend, my pastor who I wish had been a friend, but my mentor pastor said years ago you know it's inevitable that we disagree but to be disagreeable is a sin and I believe that with all of my heart 
And that's what Paul's saying to Timothy. In the household of faith. I needed to hear that. I had a, uh, my friends had an argument this week, and they fought like cats and dogs. And I, I needed to hear that. I needed that to tell them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, we, we, we can disagree. We can disagree. Jennifer and I disagree sometimes. Maybe a little more than sometimes. But, you know, we're not disagreeable with, with each other. Um, and, and that's what Timothy is saying. I mean, what Paul is saying to Timothy. You know, one of the ways you measure your spiritual maturity is not how many times you go to church, but how you treat those that are other fellow believers in Jesus Christ. You know, churches aren't perfect. You know that. But you know what? Your family isn't perfect either. And my family isn't perfect. But you don't give up on them just because you disagree. And you, and, and you, you know, and, and so anyway, that, that's what Paul says to Timothy. He says, this is the way I measure your devotion. Second Timothy chapter two and verse ten he says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the saints, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And the they is not the saints, it's the world around them. He said he says, I endure anything with the believers so that the non believers will be drawn to Jesus Christ. And folks, that ought to be foremost in our mind every time we relate to one another is how we get along with one another affects the world's relationship to Jesus Christ. And we ought to have that in our mind. We ought to have that in our heart. And Paul says that that's how you measure spiritual devotion. And then he says, you measure your spiritual development, in other words, how you're growing, I said to you, okay, how do you know that you're growing? Okay, that first question was, how do you know your devotion? How do you know you're growing in Christ? Well, Paul says, you know that you're developing spiritually if your growth is in godliness, being more like God. We're made useful to walk. We're made useful to God by our holiness. And, and here's what he said in the passage I read. He said, in a large house, there are gold utensils, there are wooden utensils, and there are clay utensils. Which are the best utensils? Depends on what you're using them for. You know, if, if you need to, to, uh, to use the utensils for what they're for. Some are clay, some are gold, some are, are, are metal. Um, but then he says, what's important about them? It doesn't make any difference whether they're gold or silver or wood or clay. What's the most important part about the pans that are in your cabinet? When you get one out to, to cook, you want to get one that, that meets the requirement. The what? It's what? The lid. <laughs> Say it again. The lid. The lid? 
As long as you can keep a lid on it, you're okay. <laughs> now, what's important? It's clean. It's clean. You don't want to use a dirty fork to stir the potatoes. At least ways, if you do, don't invite me over, okay? You know, the cleanliness, and, that, and that's what Paul says here. He says it doesn't make a difference what the article's made out of. You want it to be clean. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Some are gold, some are silver, some are wood, and some are clay. The key to their usefulness is their cleanliness. Are they clean? What they're made of, and I think when what Paul is writing here to Timothy, I, th- I think he's, he's talking about you know spiritual gifts. You know, all of us have been given a spiritual gift from God. And some of them are, are flashy. Some of them are front gifts. You know, some of them are, are back, back door gifts. Some of them are, are gifts that are not quite as, as flashy and they're not positions of honor. And Paul says some, some are positions of honor and some are gold gifts. And, and you know, so, some are pastors and teachers and, and some are, are, are missionaries. And, and some of them, we look at them in honor and, and, and they may be gold gifts, but the measure of spiritual maturity Okay, you hear what I'm saying? The measure of spiritual maturity is not whether you're the pastor or not. The measure of spiritual maturity is not whether you're a missionary or not. The measure of spiritual maturity is not even whether you touch Sunday, teach Sunday school or not. The measure of spiritual growth is godliness, holiness, cleanliness, you know, and, and I've had people in, in, in the churches where I've, where I've pastored where, where if I were to sit down with them, I would have to say, they, they are more godly than I am. They're more holy than I. Now, they don't preach every week. They don't, they don't uh, you know, but, but they're, they're men and women of extreme godliness and holiness, uh, cleanliness. And Paul says, that's the measure of spiritual growth. That's the way you measure. It's not what you do, it, it's what you are. Then, and that's what Paul said to the Galatians. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is preaching and praying and singing and playing. And That's not what he said? What did he say? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the way God measures our our holiness. Are are we clean? Are we useful to Him? And and then he says, and if, if you look through Timothy, it's not in that passage, but if you look through Timothy... Paul gives two improper methods for determining spiritual maturity. He says, some people measure spiritual maturity as to how successful they are. And sometimes we, you know, we're, we're kind of guilty of that too. But in 1 Timothy 6, 5, he says, 
and you find a constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth, but who think that godliness is a means of financial gain. He says, you see somebody that's successful and you think God has really blessed them. They must really be useful to God. They must really be holy. If it's successful, God has blessed it. In Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel says that about, about the early Christians. He says, so in this present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action should be of men, it will be overthrown. But as, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be fine fighting against God. And so people look at that and they say, well, okay, let's just let that happen. There's no deal. And if, and if it's of God, it will be successful. And if it's not, eventually it'll fail. You know what's wrong with that? Yeah, it's said in the Bible. But what's wrong with that? The person who's saying it is not a Christian. The person who's saying it is, a, is an evil person, is a, is a lost person. And, and, he, and he's given a principle that's, that's not a biblical principle. You don't determine success. I mean, you don't determine spiritual growth by physical and material success. Paul says it's not the same thing. Because sometimes there are movements that come from God that struggle. Sometimes they struggle with their own inadequacies. We're our own worst enemy. Sometimes we struggle because... We're facing an opposition that's more organized, that's tougher, that's, that's, that's better than we are. So Paul says to Timothy, hey, don't measure your success. Don't measure your spiritual growth by your success. Measure it by your holiness, by your godliness. Are, are you like Jesus? And then he says the second way that we measure growth improperly is is when we measure it legalistically. You know what I mean by legalistically? It's when you measure holiness by what you don't do. Mm -mm. Paul says, those folks have a form of godliness, but they deny its power, have nothing to do with them. And there are people, and you know some of them, who define holiness and godliness by the things that people don't do. You know, the, the old the old saying is, you know, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do, you know. So I must be a holy person. You know, uh-uh. You don't measure godliness that way. You measure godliness by what? It's written out. It's always written right there. You can always read it. What? How do you measure it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That's how you measure holiness. Is that a part of who you are? Is that in your heart, in, in your life? Number three says, you measure your discipleship. How do you think you measure discipleship? Well, do you have a quiet time? Do you, do you pray? Do you get up by yourself? Do you practice those spiritual disciplines we talked about? solitude and those those other things Paul says no he says you measure your spiritual discipleship by reproduction by reproduction 2 Timothy 2 2 he says 
and the things you have heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses who are in who and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others and and what I, what I want you to see here is that the purpose of the church is not to have church does that make sense the purpose of the church is not to hold worship services the purpose of the church is not to have vacation Bible school. Mike, the purpose of the church is not to sing songs. The purpose of the church is not to hear sermons. It's not to preach them either. That's not the purpose of the church. Those are all things that we do to try to help the church reach its purpose. And the purpose is to reach people and make disciples. Of Jesus Christ. To make others who who meet these spiritual growth principles. Now all those things have a part in it. But we're not measuring up to God's standard of discipleship. Until we're making disciples. I don't expect any amens. When I say that. But an oh me or two. Might work. You know. And the same is true of us. The, the last words of Jesus on, word, on earth. Go into all the world and have church. Is that what he said? Go into all the world and sing songs. What did he say? Go into all the world and make disciples. That's what he wants us to do. Make people, help them to grow and to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Then one last thing. You measure your potential for God by His call and His anointing. 2 Timothy 2, I mean 2 Timothy 1, verse 6, He says, For this reason I remind you to flam, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In verse 14 of 2 Timothy 1, he says, Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. <clears throat> in, a, uh, in a book called Theological Worlds, there's a story about a, a young woman who uh, shared her childhood and she said she was, uh, she was a polio victim when she was a little girl. And she said, you know, I, I, she, she talked about some of that. And then she said, when my mother left me in Sunday school, I always asked her if I could wear her locket. She had a locket that she wore around her neck. And I always asked her if I would be able to, to, to wear it, if I, if I could wear it. And my mom would always let me wear it. She, she thought I really liked the locket. But she says, I didn't really like the locket. That wasn't it at all. But I knew my mother liked the locket. And I didn't think I was worth coming back for. But I knew my mother would come back to get her locket. Can you imagine 
growing up with that, that attitude and, and, and that atmosphere, it, it would be awful to have such a low self-esteem that you thought your mother thought more of a necklace than she thought about you. Translate that to, into a spiritual sense. There are a lot of Christians who have a low spiritual esteem because they just don't think God can use them. They just, they just don't think they have any place. You know, they're, they're not sure that if, if they were to disappear, anybody would miss them or that God would miss them. And, and Paul says, that's not how you measure a person's value to God. You measure a person's potential by the spiritual gift that he has given. And he has given every one of us a spiritual gift. Every believer has a spiritual gift. The, um, I think the, the, the best example of that for me is with, in, in, life, in Paul's life, his own life, as a missionary, remember in Acts 13, he, he leaves and he goes on this missionary journey. He's called by the church to go on a missionary journey. He goes all across southern Turkey, there, Asia Minor. He goes all of these churches and he tries to plant churches and preaches to them and, and uh, works with them and everything. Uh, and uh, it says in Acts 13, 13, that... Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. In other words, he's, they're on their, on their trip. And then there's just a, a comment here. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So, so John, who was with Paul and Barnabas on this missionary journey, they, for some reason, John went home. And it doesn't tell us why. There, there, there's no reason given. It just says John went home. He went back to Jerusalem. Uh, you don't think anything more about it until uh, Acts 15 when uh, Paul and Barnabas decide they need to go back. And they need to go back and revisit the churches. And this is called Paul's second missionary journey. And they go back to the other churches and then they go on into uh, across the sea into Europe. And you know, and that, that uh, second missionary journey greatly is expanded from the first but as they're talking about this going on this second missionary journey it says and Barnabas wanted to take John he's called Mark along with them also but listen Paul insisted that they could not take him along because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and didn't go with them anymore and Paul said, I'm not taking that young snot-nosed kid with me again. He, he, he left us stranded last time. He didn't go with us. He, he's not worth his salt. We, he, he can't. Now, this is the Apostle Paul talking. Why would he talk about you that way? And uh, there arose, he says, such a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas about John Mark that they decided that they ought to go on two different missions. And so Paul chose Silas, and it was Silas who accompanied Paul on his second missionary journey. And Barnabas took John Mark and sailed away to Cyprus. So 
Paul went on this second missionary journey without Mark, and it wasn't a good situation. And then he went, he, he went, he went on a third journey, and Mark didn't go with him. And, and depending on, uh, you know, and, and when he wrote the letter to the Romans, he hadn't been to Rome yet when he wrote the letter to the Romans. And he says, you know, when, a little bit later on, when I go on into Spain, I hope to stop and see you in Rome. So we don't know whether Paul ever got to Spain or not. You know, there are some who say he did. Clement of Alexandria wrote in 7 AD that Paul did make it to the westernmost regions of the, of the earth, which would, have been, which would have been Spain at that time. But we don't know for a fact. In the Bible, it never say where, whether he made it to Spain. But um, here he is in prison in Rome. He did make it to Rome. He's in prison to Rome, and uh, he's been there for a while. And he's writing this letter back to Timothy. That's what we were talking about. He wrote this letter back to Timothy and uh, given Timothy the measures of growth and everything. And, and then he says, at the later part of the second letter, he says, only Luke is with me. He's talking about all the people that, that have left that, that were with him. He says, only Luke is with me. Then listen to this. This, this gives me chill bumps every time I read it. He says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is useful, he is helpful to me in my ministry. Folks, that's incredible. You see, Mark's usefulness to God didn't depend on the way Paul thought about him. Mark's usefulness to God depended on the spiritual gift that God had put in him. And Paul finally comes to realize it and says, bring Mark with, I I would love to see Mark again. Sometimes he's called John, sometimes he's called Mark, sometimes he's called John Mark. But it's it's the same guy, It's, it's Barnabas's nephew. And you know what else Mark did, right? Everybody go like this, because you Every time you pick your Bible, you see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mm-hmm. Well, it could be Matthew, John, Luke, and John, because he was also called John, John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. He was useful to God for ministry, and Paul totally missed it. Paul wasn't infallible. He missed it. But that's not what counted. His usefulness to God was determined by the gift that God had put in him. Well, let me conclude. God can use you. God will use you. He has gifted you. Paul says to to Timothy, stir up the gift. That is with you. Fan the flame of the gift that God has put in you. Understand that you are useful to God, not because of anything except God has put that gift in you. Measure your devotion about how you serve God's people, how you relate to God's people. Measure your development by the fruit of the Spirit in your life and your holiness. Measure your discipleship 
by how you make disciples and measure your potential by how God has gifted you. You know, Paul Paul really liked Timothy. He really thought a lot of Timothy. He cared a lot for Timothy. And those were the words that he gave him. And he would say the same to us. You know, this is how you measure your spiritual growth. 